How you doing? I'm Doug Devaney, and you're listening to The Plastic Podcasts, tales of the Irish diaspora, we all come from somewhere else. Find us and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com. This is The Plastic Podcast minicast, and the first part of my interview with Tony Murray. Born and raised in London to two Irish parents, Tony researched the history and literature of the Irish diaspora. Not only that, but he's also director of the Irish Writers in London Summer School, curator of the Archive of the Irish in Britain, and a senior lecturer in creative writing at the Met. Plus, at least one of our interviewees talked about placing him on the plastic pedestal, no less. Exactly what he's doing talking to the likes of us is anyone's guess. So let's start by asking him, how are you doing? Um, trying to spare my blushes after that, actually. Uh, what, what a nice uh, thing for a student to say. Um, yeah, I know, uh, I have listened to a couple of your other podcasts and um, a couple of the people I've had on the summer school actually have appeared. Um, Bridget Whelan and John O'Donoghue. In fact, Bridget was one of my former students and went on to become a very successful writer and teacher. And John I've known for years because I go back to Green Ink days with John. Um, In fact, I interviewed John for a college project about Green Ink back in God, I don't know, about 1990 or something, um, when he was involved in that. Um, fascinating guy, you know, full of ideas, loads of energy. I mean, it's a lot of hats that you wear there, isn't it? It is, actually. I don't know how that happened. It's like I uh, fell into a cloakroom and came out with about 10 hats on my head. Um, uh, they just sort of accumulated a bit. But <clears throat> I suppose um, it might be something to do with always trying to kind of keep a balancing act and maybe that comes from being second generation you know you're always trying to you know keep uh, different things in balance and I've never um, never been one for kind of walking away from something completely always like to keep an iron in the fire here and there so um, because I wasn't uh, by any means uh, a kind of academic. Uh, I wasn't a brain box at all. Uh, If anything, my brother was the brain box in the family. Uh, I was the one that didn't go to university when I left school. I I became a technician and uh, I spent a few years doing that. And um, in fact, I I didn't like school. And uh, believe it or not, I actually really hated reading. (laughs) I hated books. Um, So quite how I ended up doing the job I'm doing. I, um, I think I was more into music when I was a teenager than literature. Um, but I, I, I maybe, I think what it was, was I, I kind of developed, a, as, as, as I really got into the music and I read The Enemy, you know, in the 70s and all of that, I, um, I acquired something of a critical take on things. And I, I, when I reflect on it, I think maybe what happened was that that faculty, um, that, that sort of critical faculty developed um, with the music and then it just transferred over to the literature later in my career. Because after doing an Irish studies degree and an MA, I ended up uh, specialising in the literature of Irish migration and particularly sort of the Irish in London. Um, so I, I guess I brought those... Um, uh, how would you call it? Those, those, those kinds of um, interests and takes on on music to to literature. 
What kind of music did you listen to? Oh, God. Uh, I was sort of on the cusp, really, between... um, Because I was was born in 56, so uh, when I was really getting seriously into music, it was just prior to the punk era. I was, you know, I I really used to like Led Zeppelin. I wouldn't call, yeah, you know, I wouldn't say I like them so much these days, but certainly at that time, and that whole kind of, um, you know, sort of blues rock. I wouldn't say I ever got into the progressive rock so much, but I got into blues rock and that, and and then I went back to listen to, you know, the old blues guys as well later. Um, but I was also into, I think, a bit of the folk music stuff that was happening in the mid 70s particularly with those new those irish bands that came along like planksty and the bothy band who i found really exciting because they were doing something new um but then punk came along and that (laughs) exploded everything and i i i was kind of caught on a cusp there i i there were certain things about punk i actually thought were amazing you know like the, the the just that pure sense of creativity and energy um, and it's still there if you listen to, you know, the Sex Pistols' first album. It's, it's, it's frightening. As soon as you put it on, it's just incredible. But um, I think um, there are other aspects to it which I didn't identify with quite so much. So um, I was sort of had mixed feelings. Um, but it was a really productive and interesting time. I think that the, the energy that came out of that period and, and the ability for young you know guys and gals to get up and just do it you know um just get up on the stage and start playing you know maybe only new three chords as they say but you know it was it, it was a it was permission in a way to be creative in a way which maybe uh has got lost a little bit since and it certainly wasn't there beforehand with the big rock bands you know that was much harder to sort of get into music in those days, I think. There's that kind of do-it-yourself element that I think punk brought in. Exactly, yeah, you put it in. Yeah, exactly, that's what it was. The do-yourself ethic, really, wasn't there? And uh, um, I think that was that was very positive. Um, I mean, you know, sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it didn't matter. You know, there were so many bands at that time, I remember... You know, I felt very privileged living in London and growing up in London and just being able to go out. Well, actually, some nights it was a case of, well, who am I going to go to? You know, you've got the Boontown Ranch, you've got XTC, you've got, you know, the Stranglers. or <laughs> They're all playing on the same night. You could go to any of them, just pick which one. You know, it was, it was an amazing um, embarrassment of riches just for a few years there. Um, your parents are both from Ireland. That's right, yeah. Um, my dad was from Mayo, uh, my mum from Donegal, so both from the rural farming backgrounds. Um, and they came over here in the late 40s and met in London, In uh, actually met in Holloway, um, which is where I've lived and worked most of my life, funny enough, um, after a few digressions elsewhere abroad. But... Um, yeah, they, they met there and um, like a lot of Irish couples, you know, they they fell in love and married, had a family and we all grew up in Holloway. And my dad was initially a labourer and then he 
he got a job with the post office, which was a really good job um, in the 60s and 70s. And my mum was, um, she was better educated than my dad in many ways. And she had quite good secretarial qualifications by the end of it. Um, having grown up in Donegal, um, she she wasn't able to find work. You know, there was still quite a strong sectarian divide at that time, coming from a Catholic background. She didn't get the opportunities that she might have. So she ended up coming to London and she um, became a nurse. So she ended up working in psychiatric nursing. Um, and um, we kind of, you know, myself, my brother and my two sisters, we all grew up in a very typical London Irish background, I guess, you know, um, Irish in the sense of the church we went to, the school, the schools we went to, um, you know, the classic holidays in Ireland every summer. Um, but uh, at the same time, it was, it was London and it was a very different background to growing up in Ireland. Um, so I think once I got to adolescence, I realised, you know, there was some real conflicts to sort out in terms of who I was. I mean, everyone does that, don't they, in adolescence? Everything's questioned. Everything gets thrown out <laughs> of the, of the cot, whatever. You know, it's all up for grabs. And um, I guess so Irishness was part of that, you know. Um, um, but, um, you know, eventually, I think, as I said, once I, once I got to the mid-80s, I, I started to realise that I needed to just explore my Irish background a bit more. I needed to understand where I came from and my history. Um, you know, I couldn't just assume things I felt because I kept meeting people from other, so like myself, second generation, but they had very different kind of backgrounds in terms of their parents and what their parents did. Um, so that was that was interesting, you know. I had to come to terms with the fact that, well, you know, my sense of Irishness, which was very rooted in, you know, a particular part of Ireland, the west of Ireland, Mayo, where we used to go as kids every year, and where I loved and I've got fantastic childhood memories. That was just my personal sense, you know, kind of Irishness. There was loads of other um, forms of Irishness, which. Um, which I um, started to read about and think about and then ultimately kind of write about. Um, so I spent my life, <laughs> you know, playing around with these ideas of identity because I, I find them endlessly fascinating. They never stay still. They're always changing. Um, was that an exploration that was shared by your brother and your sisters? That's a very good question, Doug. And I think, um, my brother, perhaps not so much. I think for him, um, he wasn't as navel-gazing as me. You know, he just got on with it. He, he got a good job and he, um, I think he, he certainly wouldn't disown his Irishness, that's for sure. Um, he's very proud of that. But he wouldn't, um, you know, he, it wouldn't be such a big deal in terms of his identity, let's say. Um, and my sister's... Uh, to a little bit more like me, but in their cases, they're quite interesting because they went back to live in Ireland about 15 years ago. Because my, I didn't say my parents moved back in the early 90s uh, 
to live in Ireland uh, in retirement. Um, and then my two sisters followed. So in a strange sort of way, <laughs> I was the one who was left behind in London um, because my brother lived in Brussels. And um, I, um, you know, uh, it was a weird, it was, it was a very interesting turning point. Um, I realised in some ways that maybe through the studies and the research I was doing that Ireland was coming to me in London rather than me going to Ireland, if you know what I mean. So it was some compensation for that. Uh, but then later I realised actually, no, that's, that's quite a strong position to be in because um, it is about both. It's not just about being Irish, it's also about being a Londoner. Um, and these days you can always go back, well, not right now, but yeah, generally you can go backwards and forwards to Ireland, drop of a hat. So I kind of get the best of both worlds in a way. I'd like to talk about London Irishness in a moment, but I just want to catch on to something that you've mentioned there, which is that your parents went back to Ireland in the early 90s, you say, yes? And from their perspective, was it a very different country from the one that they left? What was the reception that they got having come back? Because having talked to Neve Lear last week, um, not that weeks mean anything when it comes to podcasts, um, it, there's, a, there's a sense that there's a, a, almost, there's a resentment sometimes of those that come back because, after all, they didn't stick it out. Absolutely. Uh, that's quite a common experience. Um, I know that. Um, my parents are very lucky. Uh, just a lot. I think they they went back to Donegal, which is where my mum is from, and I think there was a bit more support there in terms of her sister and my cousins. Uh, there was a network, if you like, a family support network. Um, but it wasn't easy. Um, I think, um, oddly enough, I think my dad found it easier. Although he was a Mayo man, he was kind of, uh, in Donegal, he was the... Um, the sort of uh, slightly unusual because there were very few Mayo people around there. Yeah, he he played that up. He's kind of a gregarious character, and uh, he was also an Arsenal fan amongst a load of Man U fans. So that was another. You know, he enjoyed all of that. Um, of course, as a man, he had the opportunity to just go down the pub and sort of have a drink. Whereas for my mum, oddly enough, I think it's much more difficult because. In the, even in the early 90s, it was much more difficult for a woman, certainly of her mum's age, to go just out socially in that way. Um, and it took time for her to reintegrate. Having not, you know, having been away for 42 years, going back, she left at age 17. Going back, everybody knew her, but she didn't necessarily know who they were. She had to sort of put the jigsaw puzzle back together again very slowly. Um, and gradually she sort of, you know, found herself and relaxed again. What I noticed about my mum was, uh, you know, initially when they went back, she was still very kind of like, um, I don't know, she had that uptightness about living in London. She was always sort of on the go. She was doing this, that and the other. Very, um, whereas, you know, three years later, she'd slowed down into the Donegal pace. She'd relaxed a bit, let go, and that was really nice to see. Um, so I think for them, yeah, they were very lucky. They, they had a good sort of 15 years of pretty idyllic retirement, I have to say, although, you know, when they died, it wasn't 
or great, but yeah, they, they had a had a great time there. And what is it your sisters did? Your 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 brother moved across to Brussels, so I'm presuming it's something to do with Europe. Yeah. Um yeah, he worked um he worked for a kind of consultancy firm in Brussels with the EU. And then my sister, um, one of them lives down in Galway. She's um, she's a painter, actually. Um, and she also teaches fine art, as many painters do. Um, and uh, the other sister works in Donegal as a debt counsellor. And she's uh, brought her family up there. So my nieces, her daughters, Although they were born in London, they uh, they're effectively brought up in Donegal, so they have Donegal accents and they're kind of very Irish in that sense. It's another dimension. It's uh, but when I talk to them, they say, "Well, no, actually, you know, the real Donegal, their their peers, if you like, the ones they went to school with, uh, find them quite odd because they grew up in London." So they had that you know, kind of crisis of identity as well. So it's just passed on to another generation in a funny way. You're listening to the Plastic Podcast's Tales of the Irish Diaspora. Like many of my guests, Tony Murray likes to describe himself as part of the London Irish. Before looking at what that means, I ask him to describe growing up in London. Grew up in, uh, well, Hilltop Crescent. Uh, Tufnell Park, kind of Axis, Holloway, Camden, Tufnell Park. Um, and oddly enough, I, I moved back to this area, so I've now lived sort of between Gospel Oak and Tufnell Park. Um, moved back here a few years ago. Give us a description of what, um, what, what Tufnell Park, Camden area was like at the time. Very different to the way it is now. I mean, now it's classic sort of North London, bourgeois kind of you know um not so much holloway i think holloway hasn't changed so much but tufnell park um yeah a lot of um single occupier big houses um middle class uh families people who've done very well a lot of media people uh, a lot of people politicians uh, labor party politicians it's it's very much of that ilk, I suppose. Um, whereas when I was growing up, um, those houses were much more run down. They now look immaculate, beautiful Victorian and Georgian houses. But at that time in the 60s, uh, they were all let out. You know, there was like maybe six or seven flats in some of those houses. Um, we grew up in a basement flat in one of them. Um, and um, yeah, uh, it wasn't that long after the war, you know, I mean, it was still only sort of 15, 20 years after the war. And um, I suppose the legacy of that was still in the air. Um, uh, i tell you something, uh, it was very interesting with lockdown. Um, I noticed just wandering around the streets of where I live now, I, 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 I felt like in a way I was almost going back to those days. I was almost going back in time because there were no cars on the streets. Everything was much quieter. Um, and uh, kids were playing in the streets like we used to do, you know. Um, uh, that's been unheard of, you know, for like decades. But in this last few months, certainly in April, May time, and, you know, the lockdown was at its height, 
um, I noticed that, and that was quite a nice aspect to to the the lockdown experience for me. It kind of brought me back and made me think about what my childhood was like on those streets growing up in the sixties. I felt a real sense of connection again. Um, yeah, and so, and so, so when you were uh, to, to, to carry on with this thread, which is that when you were sort of then reconsidering what your childhood was like as you looked around uh, London in lockdown, what were what were your thoughts? Um, I don't know if I thought about it in any um, kind of deliberately conscious way, or even you know uh, theoretical way. You know, I didn't think about it in terms of the way I would my work and my research it was much more of an emotional um, experience and i i found uh, just this sense of connection which i hadn't anticipated uh, i wasn't i was surprised how strong it was um uh, right down to just the minutiae of <laughs> uh, literally the physicality of certain streets uh, walking down streets I hadn't walked down for years because that's what we were doing in lockdown we were trying to find places to go for a bit of exercise when actually Hampstead Heath was mobbed you know with joggers and cyclists we couldn't go there so we were out in the um, back streets walking around and um, I, I kind of rediscovered old streets that I'd sort of forgotten about uh, from childhood and, and and discovered ones which I didn't even know existed, you know. So it's very it's very interesting time. Um, it is it is it is curious. I mean, so it's one of the things that we often talk about on this, which is that lockdown kind of reworked your relationship with the idea of home. Very much, yeah. And um, I think this summer for me has been a, a massive kind of reconsideration of home because I've actually spent half the summer in Ireland because my partner's mother died and we were over for a long time. Came back, went back again, deal with family matters. And I then I went to see my family um, as well, my sisters. And um, yeah, uh, I've sort of um, had a deep immersion in both, uh, you know, my, my London existence through the, through the lockdown, the early lockdown period, and then in the more recent um, couple of months, I've spent more time in Ireland than I spent since I was a kid going over on holidays, those long holidays. You know, uh, so I was seeing an, a, I suppose, a, a side to Ireland which I may not have seen before. It's almost like, felt like at times, almost living there, you know, temporarily. Uh, unlike just being over for a visit or on holiday. So that was an insight as well. Um, I think on balance, I felt um, relieved to get back. <laughs> um, right. It wasn't the happiest time to be in Ireland, I have to say, because there were, you know, because of the family circumstances. So that's not fair. But, and I saw some, you know, we did a little bit of driving around and, um, you know, Ireland is, what it is, you know, particularly the West, it's just gobsmacking. And you keep coming across such wonderful, you know, places and people. Um, that never changes. Uh, even with all the Celtic Tiger stuff, Ireland is a very different sensibility to here. People like to chat, people like to tell stories, you know, and uh, 
I always feel more at ease talking to Irish people than English people, you know. Um, I don't know, that just, that's just me. And um, despite having grown up here in London all my life and lived most of my life in London, that's still the case. Um, I just slip into it with Irish people in a way I can't with English people so easily. I mean, there's a, there's, there's, there's a lot here that's kind of about change. And also, on the other hand, it's about uh, stasis, I suppose, for want of a better term, um, in as much as you, you've, you, you've spent your, a lot of your life in the same kind of area in London, or you come back to it. Oh, yeah, I, I, I always come back to it. I lived in Manchester for, for three years. Um, oh, whereabouts? I was in uh, South Manchester, I was a student there for a year. Then I was unemployed for two years, which left a real mark. <laughs> um, that was an experience I, you know, it was a, um, a very shaping experience, let's say. Um, yeah, that was in 79 to 82. So it was in the depths of that Thatcher recession. It was not the place to be living, Manchester, <laughs> at that time. They took it really hard, you know, um, all the the you know the the shutdown of manufacturing and industry up north but um yeah when i what i discovered up there was my londoners came my my sense of london identity was much more apparent to me because mancunian saw me as a posh southerner you know <laughs> which i you know because it's that north south thing um oh you come from london yeah you, you Oh, you, you must think we all live in more ups up here, do you? You know, um, there was a real sense of, I don't know. Um, I mean, I love Mancunians as well. And I, I got, you know, still have friends up there. But I, uh, um, I found that difficult. I, I just felt like they saw me as something which I wasn't. And I didn't see myself as, you know, posh in any way. But because I came from London, that's how they saw it. Um, uh, so that was interesting in terms of identity because you don't always deter. I realised then that you cannot always determine your own identity. It's not entirely within your own hands. You'll always be defined by other people in a particular way. And you then have to deal with that. Um, I think that goes for all sorts of identities. Um, but then I lived in Spain for a while as well. So I, uh, that was another kind of experience around identity uh, I love Spain you know I've always gone backwards and forwards to Spain um, and what I discovered when I lived there was that one of the positive things was that uh, weirdly enough I could uh, as a second generation Irish person I could just say I was Irish uh, if I wanted to and just yeah because I didn't have a they couldn't determine I was a London Londoner or you know, British uh, as opposed to Irish. So most Spanish people just accepted it straight off. There were no questions. I didn't have to go through the whole rigmarole of, <laughs> you know, as I might to an English person, uh, explaining, you know, my background. Um, why was I calling myself Irish? Well, you know, it's because of family, history, blah, blah, blah. Um, I didn't have to do that. That was a kind of um, relief in a way. And I could just sort of express my my sense of if I wished you know um, my sense of inheritance in, in Spain in a way which I couldn't do in England
You've been listening to the Plastic Podcasts with me, Doug Devaney, and my guest, Tony Murray. Music by Jack Devaney. You can find us and subscribe to us at www.plasticpodcasts.com or just look for us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. The Plastic Podcasts has been sponsored using public funding by Arts Council England.